I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Lesson this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Many years ago, when my children were still with me, we would go to Florida and go fishing. And we would catch, what I would do is take the kids to just a pier. We would rent a few fishing poles, and then we would stand out on the pier and fish. And we would catch things. They got real disillusioned when I said, oh, wow, we caught a cowfish. And they're all standing there looking at it and going, mommy, it's not mooing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They neither would bait their hook nor take the fish off the hook. I kind of wondered why I bothered, right? I had to do both. But the other type of fish that we caught that was very unusual, something that didn't look like what we could catch in Indiana, were the puffer fish. And the puffer fish, just to pull it out of the water, is just this really mundane-looking little critter that would come out of the water, but as soon as I would move to take it off the, the hook, it would puff up, kind of beach ball size. And um, so the puffer fish, uh, even actually much bigger than that, when the one that we would throw back, and oftentimes when I would throw the puffer fish back, I mean, here I had this big beach ball of a fish, and kind of to lob it back into the water, it would bounce on the top of the water before it would realize, ah, I'm free, and it would deflate and go into the water. But this, this, in, this ability to inflate itself is its way of protecting itself because this puffer fish is a real clumsy swimmer, and so when it feels threatened, like it's going to be eaten, it puffs itself up. It can do so with both air and water. And so it inflates itself many times larger than it actually is. So it becomes inedible, something that, that another predator just can't deal with. But however, the other fish probably wouldn't want to anyway because puffer fish are toxic. And so another fish eating a puffer would probably become quite ill, recover, and not want to deal with a puffer ever again. However, for a human being, a puffer fish to ingest a puffer is very deadly for most varieties of the puffer. 12,000 times more deadly than cyanide. In a small fish like this, there's actually enough toxin there to kill 30 human beings to ingest small portions of that poison. And you see, this is the image that came to mind when I was praying about giving up superiority, that being puffed up, part of life. That same kind of poison can enter our lives when we're puffed up with ourselves. It can affect and destroy marriages, friendships. It can affect the church, your workplace. It can change your relationship with God. It has a very toxic effect in our own lives. Our culture has kind of decided that uh, we can, you know, that companies, corporations need to get rid of this idea of being superior. And so they've taken on roles in our culture to 
remove themselves from being superior to others. But they do it with a catch. For example, Burger King had, and, and they are not offering this anymore in case somebody wants to go look, but they did have a campaign recently where if you would go on to the website LinkedIn, LinkedIn is for business folks and it's kind of like the Facebook of the business world. And if you would go on LinkedIn and you would claim that you have recently been fired from your position, Burger King would give you a certificate to receive a free Whopper. They call it their Whopper severance deal. <laughs> yeah. But it was part, this whole idea came out of part of their PR department, their public relations department, to show that they were sympathetic to the person that was struggling with employment and in order to raise their likability within the community and within the culture. So they added an element of, of wanting to still puff themselves up with being humble, right? So this kind of humility isn't really humility when it's used to flaunt and promote yourself. Oh, I'm so humble. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm just so humble. <laughs> That's an, another way of being puffed up. Because you see, true humility has to do with the heart and with a change of heart. Our culture also, you may have heard the phrase living large. Living large is actually a United States slang that came around in the 1960s and is still being used today. Living large means that you live extravagantly, publicly extravagantly, so that other people know that you're living large. Otherwise, you're not really living large. So you show off your accomplishments. You show off what you've done. You show off that you belong to a church. You show off that you give to others. Whatever you do in living large, you do it extravagantly and very publicly. Again, not what we're called to do. In fact, we are called to the kind of living that Paul describes in this Philippians passage, in Philippians 2. He describes for us not as a Christian that we are to seek God's forgiveness. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our accepting God. What Paul is saying here is that we allow ourselves to be transformed by God. That our hearts be changed for God. And so this is what Paul is calling us to do, to be. Well, as we look at this passage, I want to kind of take a look first at how this happens, how Paul dictates that we do this 
And he brings us to verse 5. And it says to have the attitude Christ Jesus had. Have the attitude Christ Jesus had. In other words, Christ came to us as a servant. We are to look to Jesus Christ as a model for how we are to live. But not necessarily by what we do, but allowing God to work in us and through us. That's how we determine what to do and when to do it. By allowing God to lead us. We move through the passage, verse 6, verses 6 and through 11, take us on the journey of the how-tos. How do we do that? And as we move through this, we hear that first part of verse 6 tells us that Jesus is God. Now that's a concept that's really difficult for us because we know that Jesus also experienced life as we know, fully human. But God came to us fully God. Not a junior varsity God. Not just part God. But fully God. Now ask yourself, if I came to earth fully God, what would God do? I mean, Jesus Christ came with all the power of the Creator. He came as part of that which created all that is and was and is to be. He came to us all-powerful. He came to us as God. He could do anything that he wanted to do. Quite an amazing accomplishment. God came to us. God came to us in Jesus Christ, fully God, and could do anything that God was capable of doing. So what did he do? Well, we hear in the second part of verse 6 that he didn't cling to the equality he had of being God, being equal with God. He didn't hold tight to that. He didn't cling to it. Instead, he allowed it to go. He let it go. You see, he let that go in order to be able to be humble, to give of himself. We hear in verse 7 that he emptied himself. He let go of his divine privileges. Well, when Jesus Christ, when we hear that he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he became less God. Now he's only 50% God because he emptied himself. That's not what that means. It means that figuratively he poured himself out. 
figuratively, he gave all he had to give. Now, if you were going to pour out something, wouldn't you pour it into something? And that's what Christ did. He not only poured out himself, but he poured himself into us. Into the beautiful people, the privileged people, the the people that are uh, going places, and equally so into the broken people, the ordinary people, the less than ordinary people. He poured himself into all people. Years ago, I led a program that was called the Alpha Program. And this particular program, this one class that I was leading, went into the prison. And the Alpha Program is a particular program that introduces Christianity, but it equally as much as presenting ideas of Christianity and beliefs of Christianity, it also encourages those questions that people have about Christianity. And so it's really based on a conversation. And this particular group in the prison was about a group of about seven women because in this program women would minister to the women and men would go in to minister to the men. And so as we sat around talking, there was a a time of asking the questions of faith. And, And this one particular time, one woman said, why did God make it so easy to sin? Why did God make it so easy to sin? You know, in my mind, I'm going to all these theological explanations, and my partner was the first one to answer that. And I'll never forget. She said, Because of the decisions we make, we bend ourselves away from God. Sometimes we bend so far we break. But it's because of Jesus Christ. He came and he bends us back toward God. He repairs us. And how did he do that? He did that by dying for us on the cross. He bends us back toward God. And the cross that Christ bore for us was a a means that was reserved for the lowest of low lives for the criminal and the rebel. In fact, in Jewish tradition, anyone who died on the cross, who hung on the cross, was cursed. This is where we find Jesus. 
at the end of his life on earth. On the cross. Something that was looked upon as being a place for only those who are to be cursed by people and by God. What does this say about our God? It says that there's no place too low for our God to go. There's no place too low for our God to go. God came up to us very humbly, finds us and meets us in the lowest of lows in our lives because he can go there. You see, God came from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. That's who our God is. That's what he calls us to be. To be filled with that kind of God. You see... Maybe there's a question in your mind, okay, maybe we are supposed to be humble, but doesn't that just make me a doormat for God? Not at all. You see, it's not that we are to think less of ourselves. We are to think of ourselves less. In other words, we are to do great things and give glory in the midst of our great things to a greater God. We do all things for God. That's not being puffed up. That's glorifying our God. Giving all the glory to our God. And you see, as we do so, We are giving ourselves over to Jesus Christ to be transformed by Christ. We're not to worry about how we are going to accept Christ, how we are going to move closer to God. We simply have to be concerned about how we receive Christ and allow Christ to move in and through us. We don't necessarily have to figure it out. We simply allow God to work through us. We submit to our God. And so in closing this morning, I want to offer you a new position for prayer. Last week we prayed with our palms open, allowing God to see to see into our lives and to move through what God sees. Today, I invite you to clasp your hands. And you see there's an explanation in your bulletin, but to pray with clasped hands means that 
originally that position was when you had your hands chained in submission. If you were a prisoner, that's how you had your hands, right? Clasped together, and that's what it became a symbol of in the church, that you are surrendering to God. That you are submitting your life just as someone who is chained and imprisoned. But you do it of your own free will. You are surrendering yourself to your God. So I invite you to join me with clasped hands as we pray. Gracious, loving a God who is most high and willing to be most low. We ask that you move in our lives. We give over our superiority to you. Make us who you would call us to be. Amen.